everybody. I'm Mark Lanier bringing you the biblical literacy class. We normally are at our church, Champion Forest Baptist Church here in Houston, Texas. And to all of my class members that I'd normally get to see as I teach, uh, hey, I miss you guys. Uh, But we are here, we're in a, a chapel that's part of the library complex, and we're coming to you live this morning. I'm excited to get to teach biblical study while living with coronavirus. This is our eighth or ninth lesson to present this way, and we've been getting emails from a lot of different people. I want to thank you. As we come from Houston, Texas, I obviously want to thank our class who's tuning in. I get all of your emails and encouragement and support, and and it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Of course, special shout-outs to Brent Johnson and Janet Seaford and the others who make all of this stuff work. Chris Todd worked this week hard on the sync issues because it seems that coming live... There have been some issues where I'll say something and then you won't hear it until a few seconds later. So, don't know what that does, but no, that was not sync. That was fake. So, the the sync issues we think are resolved this morning, but if not, we're sorry. A lot of you, though... That, that can't attend our class normally have been attending via the internet. And so we welcome you. We've given shout outs to our friends, uh, the Roggies, the Pennanotis in Austin, the, the, the Campbells in St. Louis. But we've gotten emails from all around as far away as China last week from people saying we're watching Uh, uh, We thank you, pray for us, whatever it may be. Words of encouragement to us uh, all over Canada, all over the United States and points in between. So we thank you. We're going to continue our study this week of story behind the story on the road to Emmaus. Now, Emmaus was a town a few hours walk outside of Jerusalem. On Easter Sunday... Two of Jesus' disciples are walking that road, and Jesus comes up to them. They don't realize it's him. Jesus comes up to them and says, what are you all talking about? And they said, well, we've been talking about all this stuff that's going on. And Jesus said, what stuff? And they said, are you crazy? Have you not been paying attention? This has been the most bizarre last few days we could ever imagine. And Jesus said, said, well, tell me about it. They said, well, Jesus was mighty in word and deed, and, and he got put to death. And some, some women said that he's uh, been resurrected, not, but we, we hadn't seen him, you know, and, and, and we're just trying to figure out what all's going on. And then we get to this key passage, this key passage in chapter 24. Jesus says in, in Luke 24, 27, beginning, or Luke says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to those two in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I love this, and this is where we're dwelling for a while, because it took a few hours to walk to Emmaus, and Jesus had plenty to discuss. So we're looking carefully at what Jesus could have likely taught to those disciples. And that's what we're going to do today. So today we're going to journey back with those disciples, back to Moses, to better see Jesus. So let's go back in time together. Now here's the principle behind today's lesson. The principle is this. There are certain things that you make 
that require precision. Certain things that you make that require precision. If you're making a watch, you can't just throw in any old part, any old place. It's got to fit with precision. Attention to detail is something that is huge. I have here a sample of some blueprints. Now, these blueprint samples, and you can't really see them because of the lighting here. If I do that, you can see them a little bit better. But these are blueprints that are going to be used, God willing, to build a learning center. Now, in building a learning center, you get blueprints because they will tell you exactly where to put beams so that the foundation doesn't crack. They'll tell you where to lay plumbing lines so that when you finally get to the stage of building the kitchen, the plumbing is where it should be. If they don't lay the sewer line in the right place, you're not going to have a commode that works. All of that has to be done with planning ahead so that you've got the ability to make what you want to make and have it stand and last and fit together. Now here's the key. God told Moses this. God told Moses, pay attention to detail. I'm going to tell you how Israel is supposed to build things. And I want you to build it exactly concerning the pattern with all of the furniture, all the way to the finest details. That's how I want you to make it. Now, why did God tell Moses to do this? Was God a moody customer who just wanted to see it his way? Well, this is the God who created the world by the power of his voice. Does he really need Moses to make something precise for God's benefit? Moses was instructed to make all of the pieces of the tabernacle and the tent where where God would meet with the people and the ark. Remember Indiana Jones and, and the Ark of the Covenant? That ark, Moses was the one to make that or have the people make it. But it had to be made exactly, not rounding error, exactly the way God told him to. And understand, God told him how to make it very precise. Down to the priest's robe, he told him how to double stitch the neck so it wouldn't tear when they take it on and off. God had great precision in how these things were going to be made, but not for God's benefit. God was doing that for us. You see, all of these, all of these things that God was doing then, they were a foreshadow, they were a picture of a greater reality. And so by explaining the picture and having people build it, by having the blueprints set up right, then when the building was built, when the complete occurred, when it was complete and finished, God's plan and design, everybody could look at it and say, yeah, that's exactly like the blueprints he gave us. The Huffmans uh, in Lubbock, Texas, have been watching lately, and, and Dean Huffman and I 
did, did work on a project uh, at the law school. And, and, and it was amazing how much work Dean Huffman had the people put into it. So the finished product would look like the created, planned product. The, the dyes who are in Nashville, Tennessee, they have worked with me assiduously for five decades on a number of projects, but we always try to plan it so that the end result looks the same. That's just the way of it. So it enabled Jesus on that road to Emmaus to go to the disciples and explain from the Old Testament, starting with Moses, the picture that God had already painted so that they would see the reality looks just like the picture. To quote my cousin Vinny, identical. Exactly there. And so that's what they did. So last week we started this. And I don't have time to review all of last week in good detail. So if, if you have a hankering, our internet team posts these on the web. You can get them on YouTube. You can get them a number of different places, these lessons. Go back and watch last week. But this is last week in two minutes. So we got to go through it quick so we got time for this week's material. We started out with the Egyptians as slave lords over the Israelites. And Paul says that we are slaves to sin, that the slavery the Israelites were enduring was a slavery that was like ours to sin, where sin is the overlord. Paul said in Romans 6, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, that led to more lawlessness. It's like the kid who tells a lie and then has to lie to cover up his lie. I mean, it, it, sin, just my mom, when I was young, equated sin to a jar of olives. And she said, every time you take one out, it makes the others easier to get out. And that's the way sin works. And sin is a vicious cycle. It is a slave overlord. And the people, try as they could, couldn't escape from Pharaoh. And try as I might, I can't escape my sin on my own. Now, in itself, that's a problem. But it's especially a problem when you consider the holiness of God. God is a holy God. He told Moses... Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground when Moses approached that burning bush. The holiness of God means God's not common. God's not like you and me and everybody else. God is something that's entirely set apart unto himself. He is something higher. He's something greater. He's something more majestic. He's something more powerful. He's something more pure. He's more loving. He's more righteous. God is set apart from all of the normal things. That's why God said to to Moses, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Holy, the Hebrew word's kadosh. Hagios in the Greek. Holy means separate, set apart, dedicated. Righteous before God is what we are if we're holy. But I'm not righteous on my own. 
Now, this holiness of God is interesting in the Bible because if you look, for example, at Luke 1, at Luke 1, if the, the, the angel says that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, talking to Mary, the Virgin Mary. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. You're going to be born, or you're going to give birth to a child. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Holy. See that holiness that God was to Moses? That holiness that God said to Moses, this is nothing ordinary. This is exceptional. Take your shoes off and show it by the way you treat even the ground you're stepping on. That exceptional, that holy is what would be Jesus. He would be not an ordinary child, not the son of Mary, but the son of God. You know, in Acts, when Peter is giving the, the, the sermon on Pentecost, Peter tells the people, he says that, that, that David in the Psalms prophesied about Jesus when he said, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You won't let your holy one see corruption. Jesus is the holy one. Now, we need to see this. Remember, in the book of Acts, there's a story about a fellow named Stephen. Stephen's a big, solid pillar of the church, the earliest church. And Stephen gets arrested. And the Jewish authorities have arrested him for blasphemy because Stephen is claiming that Jesus is God. And they put Stephen to trial for this. And when Stephen is in trial in Acts chapter 7, Stephen says to them, hey, this is what Moses was talking about. Stephen does what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. And there's an interesting phrase there. As Luke recalls the story that Stephen gave in his defense when he's being tried for blasphemy. In it, Stephen says of Moses that Moses was mighty in words and deeds. Moses was. Remember on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples of Jesus said to Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They equated Jesus as a prophet, a man, to Moses because they didn't understand the resurrection. If Jesus had died, and that's the end of the story. Then they had it right. He was a man. He was mighty in word and deed. He was a prophet, just like Moses. But then when they learned about the resurrection, it confirmed for them the teaching of Jesus. He was no mere man, no mere prophet. Do you know what's said of Moses in the Old Testament? Moses is called the servant of God. Eved Adonai in Hebrew. He's the servant of God. Jesus 
is not Eved Adonai. He's not the servant of God. He's Ben Adonai. He's the son of God. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so the holiness of God is something that's imparted in Jesus, the holiness of Jesus. And so within the framework of that, the people get called out from Egypt after the angel of death passes over and kills the firstborn. The firstborn dies. The firstborn dies to allow the people to leave Egypt, to allow the people out of slavery. The firstborn dies to allow me out of the slavery of sin. It's the firstborn of God, the lamb without blemish. He is our Passover lamb, as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He's our Passover lamb. And in that way, God redeemed his people from the slavery of Pharaoh. In the same manner, God redeemed me from the slavery of sin through Jesus. There's now no longer any condemnation. I am no longer condemned. In Jesus. Sin condemns me to death. God told Adam and Eve. First thing. You eat of the fruit. You disobey. You sin. You die. Sin leads to death. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from this law of sin and death. What uh, William Barclay called the vicious cycle of sin. And that's what it's done. So we're led through the waters to the promised land. And that's a picture of baptism, the manna from heaven, a picture of the Eucharist. The the water of life that that Moses found to, to refresh the people. We find that refreshing from Jesus. And then as we ended last week with the new covenant, Everybody who's seen the movie knows about Moses and the Ten Commandments. But let's look at it a little bit differently. Let's look at it in this sense. God said to Jeremiah, if we go to the Pivo, thank you, Brent. God said in Jeremiah, now Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. He's speaking to Israel before and during them getting carted off to, to uh, Babylon. He says, behold, the days are going to come. They're in the future. They're coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, it's not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So here's, here's what happened there. When... Israel gets called to Sinai. A wedding ceremony is conducted. The Sinai story is one that unfolds like an ancient Jewish wedding. And God makes certain promises. He says, I expect from you A, B, C, D. And he gives them the law. But I will give to you. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Let's start with double A, double B, double C, on and on and on. 
Because he says, I will give you life. I will be your God. I will be your king. I will be your husband. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will take care of you. I will teach you. I will guard you. I will be your foundation. I will be your future. I will ensure you against all the nations. I will fight your battles for you. I will provide you plenty. That's what I'll do. And ultimately, I will redeem you from your sins and claim you for eternity. Here's what I want you to do. A, B, C, D. Now, will you do that? And the Israelites said, yes, everything you've said will do. And they entered into that marriage covenant with God. A marriage covenant, by the way, that Paul extends out between Christ and his church. But let's stay in Sinai for a moment. So God says, okay, we're going to evidence this covenant by a sacrifice of blood. And animals are sacrificed. Because for God, the Holy One, to be with people who are not holy, some death sentence has to be paid for the sin. God said, you sin, you die. Now, the, the, the blood of those dead bulls and goats wasn't really going to forgive anybody's sins because these aren't blood, bulls and goats we're talking about. They're people. But it was a foreshadowing of God paying the death price on behalf of the people, which he did through Jesus. So all of that's foreshadowed. And that's the covenant And that's the covenant that the people have. And that's the covenant that God put down for the people. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is able to say that the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. Get my Galco marker. Holy Spirit bears witness to us saying, this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now that New Testament writer of the book of Hebrews is actually quoting the rest of the passage that we were reading from Jeremiah. Where God said, I'm going to make a new covenant, not like the one they broke when I was their husband. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on my hearts, on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer. By the way, see that? Let's just show how how good this writer of Hebrews was in the New Testament. I'm going to put... So I've gotten red ink. Here's Jeremiah the prophet. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And here it is in the book of Hebrews. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it in their hearts. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. The reason minds is there is because the Hebrews thought of the heart as the thinking organ. 
But by the time of, of uh, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, they knew it was the mind, so they have to change that there. Um, so, I will be their God, they will be my people. Where does this, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more come in? It's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah continued, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, saying, know the Lord. They'll know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That was God's promise. And that's what God did. And he did it through Jesus. And he set it up and and he established it. And, and, and this was prophesied even by Moses himself. Moses said before he died, Deuteronomy 18, 7 through 19, the Lord said to me, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you, Moses, from among the brothers. That means as an Israelite, not going to be some goy from another nation. I will put my words in his mouth and he'll speak to them all that I command him. Whoever won't listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God is saying, Moses, I'm giving the law through you, but there's going to be another Israelite who's going to come and I'm going to put my words in his mouth and he's going to bring this new covenant. And that's what Jeremiah 31 is talking about. That's what Exodus 24, 3 through 8 is talking about. Exodus 24, 3 through 8 is the the same thing. It's Moses setting this out. Moses says in Exodus 24, Moses came and he told all the people, all the words of the Lord and all of the rules. Here's the marriage ceremony. And all the people answered with one voice and said, I do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars, one for every tribe of Israel. And he sent the young people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. He read it in the hearing of the people. And they all said, we will do this. This is the wedding ceremony. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus was uh, arrested and Pilate was going to put someone out for free, as he was, would do typically this day of the year. He said, well, I've got two. I've got a known thief and I've got this Jesus fellow. Which one do you want to let me go? And the crowd shouts out, release for us Barabbas, the, the thief. And Pilate says, well, why do you want me to crucify Jesus? He hadn't done anything wrong. And the people yelled, Let his blood be on us and our children. Not understanding the prophetic word they were giving. 
that it is the very blood of Jesus that upon us is not only the Passover lamb, but is stills in this new covenant, a relationship with God that's redeemed from sin. Now, that's beautiful. And if Jesus had stopped there on the road to Emmaus, he said the world. But I'm sure he didn't stop there. Because there's so much more in the Old Testament. And he just began with Moses. But you can't leave Moses without coming to this passage. Exodus 25, 8. God told them this. Have them make a sanctuary for me. And I will dwell among them. Now, this is a sanctuary that they're to make. And, 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 and God told them exactly how to make it. He said, I want you to make the curtains of one piece. I want you to make a tent that goes around. I want a, t- a tabernacle inside with separate rooms. A holy place and a most holy place. And I want an altar. And, and every time the Israelites, for 40 years, every time they'd get up and move from one place to another, they'd pack everything up. And God had specific tribes responsible for packing different things. And they'd carry it and they'd set it back up where God said. Israel was unique among the nations in Cana at that time. All of the pagans would worship their local gods in their homes. But their tribal gods, they would build different places to worship them. Typically on a hill, on a high place they would call it. And on a high place they would build it because in their brain, gods are up in the sky. So if they were on a high place, they're closer to the gods. And they'd build them all over the place. And God said, it's not going to be that way. The precise detail I want you to build is one tabernacle. Worship me in one place. I will meet you at the Ark of the Covenant, in the tent, in the holy place, through the priest, after the blood has been shed, so the sacrifices are paid, because I'm holy. And you need to understand, you only meet me in one place. And it's the place of my choosing. And all of that Old Testament, all of that Old Testament forms, they preview the ministry in the person of Jesus. Because while God told Moses to uh, uh, be careful of how you build things, go back to the the passage in, in Exodus that I had a few moments before. In Exodus 25, God said, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture. That's how you'll make it. And then he starts giving them the detail. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear why this was done. This was done because they served a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. When Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. That's the way he was to make it. That's why he was to make it that way. But as it, the pattern on the mountain, is 
Christ has obtained a ministry that's as much more excellent than the old, the pattern on the mountain, as the covenant, the agreement, the wedding we've got is better. It's enacted on better promises. And this is, again, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. This is the new covenant that he makes. And so as we get this, we begin to understand that all of those elements are elements that are critical to us in Jesus. Look what the apostle John had to say about Jesus in John 1.14. John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, periskaneo in, in the Greek, is, is, is the word for pitch, pitching the tabernacle, the tent. It's the word that was used in the Old Testament, to, to, uh, in the Greek of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, to, to explain how Israel would build the tent. Christ is the one meeting place. God didn't meet with the Israelites in, in lots of places. Why? Because he wanted them to understand there would be one meeting place of humanity with God, and that's through Jesus. God didn't send 50 messiahs to die for us. God sent one. And that's who we have. The only son from the Father. Not one of many. The only son. See it there in the passage? We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When the tabernacle was built by Moses, after the building of the tabernacle, God's Shekinah glory descended upon it in a cloud. And only the priests were allowed in to the tabernacle, and only the high priest only once a year to the Holy of Holies. And yet Jesus has shown us the glory of God for all to behold because he moved us from the tyranny of sin to the promised land. As Paul said in Romans 6, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, by the way, let's go lawyer here for a moment. A lot of people read passages like this and say, Paul, misogynist, sexist, always talking about sons. Why didn't he say daughters? Paul's talking as a trained lawyer. Sons had special rights in adoption to inherit Paul says you're all sons, not trying to disgender the daughters of the Lord, but rather to let us know that we all inherit with the greatest inheritance rights under law. That's what he means by that. So what does this mean for me? Well, let me explain it to you this way. I love the way all of this fits together. I love to build puzzles. I love to build models. I love to build buildings. I love to build. 
And I like the way it all fits together because it makes great sense. I can look at the blueprints and I can see Jesus and I can say Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and also Savior of the world. Not a doubt in my mind. I mean, he, he, I, I read the blueprints. I've seen the picture. It's identical. So... It means a lot to me just because of my personality quirks that likes to build. But if that's all it meant, that's nothing of the significance that it should be if I understand the fuller picture. And let me tell you why. There's a God who worked with Moses and the Israelites in great detail over 3,000 years ago, well over 1,000 years before Jesus. And he did it in anticipation of making sure people who looked carefully and prayerfully understood Jesus was the Messiah. Now that was important because if Jesus is the Messiah, it changes who I am. Oh, I can ignore him. I can say, I don't need a Messiah. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm sure God loves me as I am. I can pretend there are other ways to meet with God than the one. But in truth, I am a sinner, enslaved to sin. Even those of, of, of folks who might think, oh, I'm so good. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a real good person. That means you're a slave to the sin of pride. If you can't see your own sinfulness, then you're, you, 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 as my dad would say, you're smoking dope. You're not seeing things the way you ought to be seeing them. But if you understand you're a sinner, it means that we're not a sinner alienated from God. If we embrace God where he chooses to meet us in Jesus. That my sins are forgiven. And, and yeah, I still muck about. But I am assured that the God who put this together over thousands of years is not stranding me today. You, 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 don't, you don't do this for thousands of years. You don't plan this so carefully. You don't pay such attention to detail just to forget Mark Lanier on May 3rd, 2020. Or fill in your name. This morning as I was getting ready, I was listening to a playlist. And uh, sometime email me. I'll send you my playlist. But I was listening to a playlist for, for my Sunday lesson. And this song stuck out from, or lyric stuck out from a song called Him, H-Y-M-N, by Randy Stonehill. Here's the line. He says, in the end, we're not forgotten. And our journey is not in vain. For the master who brought us here will lead us home again. We'll see the finish line. God's put us here with a promise to see us home again. Let me tell it to you the way Paul used it. 
Paul said it this way to the church at Philippi. I'm sure of this. I'm confident of this. That he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the assurance we've got. The assurance we've got is that the God who started with us, who's rescued us from the bondage of slavery through the death of his son, who has walked with us through the wilderness, who feeds us, who gives us refreshing water, that the God who who wants to be in a marital relationship with us, who saw to it that we would be able to identify Jesus as his meeting point, as the one whose blood would be shed, but who would not be abandoned to hell, to Hades, but would be resurrected as a new life. That we would share in that, and that yes, we've still got sin, but, but, but that sin is not ours, that's the old person. That's the old Mark. He is working in my life a new creation and he promises to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That's the faithful God we serve and that's key to the story behind the story on the road to Emmaus. So next week, what I'd like to do is continue this, and we're going to look beyond Moses at some of the other stories of the Old Testament that prophesy about Jesus. So we'll have more on the story behind the story. But in the meanwhile, if you want to email us, you can reach us at info at lanierfoundation.org. And let me tell you, what, what if you'll put in the email, what we'll, we'll send to you if you'd like. First of all, you can uh, ask us to the links for our thoughts for the day. I do five a, a week on weekdays, and then Janet Seifert puts a mashup of them together for Saturdays. And you're welcome to those. Uh, obviously, everything we do is ministry, so we don't charge for any of this stuff. It's just links, and, and, and we're glad to send it. Uh, we've got a set of collected promises of God and some other things that you're welcome to email us. We'll send you those, how God's faithful to his word. Uh, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people ask for those. Uh, if more people want them, just let us know. Email us. Uh, email us if you've got prayer requests. They're kept confidential. Uh, uh, there are only three of us who look at those, and we pray for those. And we are honored to get to pray for you and your needs. We've had a number of people send us those, and we've uh, prayed about them together, and we've prayed about them separately. And so uh, please send us those. And then last but not least, while supplies last, which means there's a limit here, um, I have a Torah devotional book that I wrote. And it's a section from the Old Testament that's to be from specifically the Torah, the, the law, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A little passage each day with a devotional. If you don't have one and you would like one, all you got to do is email us and we'll drop one in the mail to you. Now, uh, two things you need to know. Number one, 
this is for you. I'm not, don't do your Christmas shopping by, hey, Lanier's sending out a free book. I'm going to get 12 and send them out. This is not what this is. These are limited. And so one per family, too. Uh, please don't send me an email that says there are nine of us in the family. Would you send me nine copies? You all can share. Each page can be read more than once. Uh, uh, this is while supplies last. Uh, you can grab it on Amazon.com, too, if you think I send it too slow or any number of different websites. But uh, if you'll email, then we'll send you the Torah book. Now, I want to tell you one more thing about next week, and then we'll close with a prayer and a blessing. If we go back to the PowerPoint, Brent, uh, the email for you, you got to send me a physical address. I can't email you the book. Send me a physical address if you want the Torah book, but send it to info at lanierfoundation.org. Next week, we've got a brand new Phil Keggy song coming. Another Paul McCartney original that Phil uh, is recording and doing all the work on. Uh, I wrote the lyrics. I'll put a PowerPoint together and we'll have it. And they say, yeah. And I hope you will too. So let me bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the time we've had this morning. Thank you for your love, your attention, your devotion to us. Thank you for your constancy. Thank you that we can rely upon you. Thank you that our journey is not in vain, that you are here to bring us home. And that we can trust and rest in that every day. We glorify you for the sacrifice of Jesus that redeems us from the slavery of our sin and the condemnation that our sin deserves. And we stand before you by his blood and in his name in fellowship and harmony with you. Amen. See you guys next week. Mm